calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of the geek buddies sorry i sound so bad hey! Hey! this is our secret invasion episode five spoiler review i'm recording this just for those two gentlemen on the screen there heading to comic-con get on the road to head into comic-con so we're gonna uh, talk about this one and break it down and have some fun uh, talking about uh, this penultimate episode before we get to that season finale next week. Uh, so there's a lot to discuss here. Uh, but first, let's introduce ourselves. I am the outlaw, John Roker, writer, producer, and host here on The Geek Buddies. I am Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And this is Shannon McClung. I'm a television actor and an animation writer where season three of Strawberry Shortcake, Barry in the Big City, dropped last uh, last weekend. First episode Ooh. written by that guy. Michael Vogel. So we have a bunch of new episodes coming. Hope you check them out. There you go. And of course, we should say right off the bat, unfortunately, Shannon McClung's microphone, uh, there are issues going on. So this is wow, Shannon is going to sound like through the episode. So we uh, uh, we appreciate I, uh, your understanding. Was that? I just thought that was puberty. Oh, boy. Finally. Finally. Oh. <laughs> the golf clap. Zing. Golf, Zing. Golf, the, the golf clap doesn't hit as hard when it sounds like shit. <laughs> all right anyway secret invasion episode five harvest directed by Hold on, I'm, I'm dming you right now saying <laughs> <laughs> written by brian tucker this one basically setting the table up for this finale here certainly graphic and his plan comes a little more into focus in this episode sonia comes back we missed her last episode and so she comes back in full force getting the information about the machine that Gravik is building from Dr. Dalton and Nick Fury. Oh, and Gaia and Vara bury Talos uh, and fight off some, uh, uh, some of Gravik's men. And Nick Fury himself goes on this whole journey from uh, protecting the president in the hospital to uh, talking to Gaia about Talos's serve, Talos's service, and then uh, going to find the harvest in Finland, revealing that apparently Nick Fury 
has been collecting uh, the hero's DNA into a vial, which is very Batman-esque. So uh, interesting decision there by Nick Fury. So a lot was revealed here. Mike, your thoughts on Harvest Episode 5? I think I think there was a good show somewhere in Secret Invasion, but I think at this point, this is not it. Okay. Uh, I, I kind of have gone, like, if you split, what, six episodes? First two episodes, I was excited. A lot yeah. of potential, a lot sure. of hope on where this is going to go. Second two episodes, getting a little frustrated, but, you know, maybe they can bring it home. And now after watching this episode, I was like, man, I think they did not do it. There was a, there was a bunch of things in this episode that just... Really, I was I, I just stared at the screen and kind of gave it the same look that I give Shannon when he gives us a really, really bad dad joke. It was just like a really. I'm unfamiliar really... with this look. Unfamiliar. <laughs> so we'll get I've into never seen it. This but face. You guys I mean, are look. about to be in a car for two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> look, I look. I think that same same things apply. Like, look, I think did this episode do a good job of answering a good number of questions and setting the stage for the finale so that the finale can just be all action? It did. Mm-hmm. Are all of the performers doing the absolute lord's work with the material that they're given? They are. The performances in this thing are still top notch. Obviously, Olivia Coleman being the standout of all oh. standouts. Um, but yeah, at this point. The potential of what Secret Invasion could have been versus the execution of what we are getting uh, is a pretty wide gap for me. Okay. Uh, Shannon, your thoughts on Episode 5, Harvest? I mean, I'm not quite where Vogel is, um, but it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's fine. It's, mm. it's a fine show. It's, it's, it's good enough, um, which when you're coming down off the high of Phase 3 and some of the bright spots that we did have in Phase 4, that's not a place where you want your show to be. Right. Because it makes it kind of forgettable. Um, like for me, Moon Knight was an actively bad show. Mm. But I will remember Moon Knight way more than I will remember Secret Invasion. Secret Invasion will fall into the catalog next to other movies. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that yeah, that movie came out. Uh, you know, it, it'll fall next to like uh, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. I'm like, yeah, Ant-Man and the Wasp, that's fun enough. Um but yeah, I mean, in, in terms of the performances, again, I think the reason that maybe uh, episode four may have been people's least favorite was because that was the least amount of Olivia Coleman. Mm-hmm. Um, having her back in this episode, I mean, she's just so much fun to watch. Watching her take, watching her take out the doctor, that you know, that that was a blast. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm afraid that come the end of this show, I don't know how much is going to bleed into the Marvels, and I don't know how much is going to bleed into the overall MCU universe, MCU universe, and. Uh, yeah, I think it's just going to end up being kind of forgettable. Yeah, it's interesting because as we're recording this, apparently, according to social media, there is a Marvel's trailer, a new one coming out today. So uh, there have been already stories that the that Marvel's is a continuation now. They're kind of semi-confirming that, the continuation of Secret Invasion. So it'd be interesting to see uh, what we're going to get in that trailer, if that teases a little bit of what we're going to get in that finale, which the trailer is already out for the finale. Uh, for those of you who want to take a look at it after we finish our review. Yeah, I, you know, this, it's just disappointing uh, at the end of the day for this uh, show. It started out so strongly, so well, so exciting. And then these plans are coming. These plans seem like haphazard for a guy I'm supposed to be afraid of. And then the deaths seem to have no significance to anybody other than the moment they happen. And it's so frustrating to watch this kind of stuff because there's more here to tell. And I agree with you, Shane. I mean, Sonia... Sonia is the re- to me is maybe the number one, number two reason to watch this show. She is fantastic, electric. If they had made her the focus of the show, I think this would have been a way better show. Just to have Olivia Coleman's talent and ability. Look, nothing against Samuel L. 
but something about Olivia's electricity and her almost sociopathic uh, uh, pursuit of her job, I think is really interesting and electric and something you definitely want to watch. And so the fact that you only get her in bits, I think is just such a shame about this show, but it just feels very undercooked. And there, as you said, Michael, I think there was a better show here that would have really affected all of us who love the MCU and could have um, uh, forged a bold new path for the MCU as we go into this next phase of uh, phase five. So, um, all right, we're going to break this thing down. Uh, this is a spoiler review. So you haven't seen it. Come on, uh, go see it and come on back and hang out with us. We're going to break it down into three storylines here and let's jump into the first one here. Nick Fury and Sonya. I'm just going to combine those two. Fury's in the hospital with the president, tells him not to trust Rhodes. Rhodes shows up. Fury pulls a gun on Rhodes. Rhodes says the video of him killing Maria is going to be all over the news in 60 seconds. And apparently he'll be the most hated man on the planet. Did, did everybody on the planet love Maria Hill this much? I don't know. It's an interesting question. Anyway, Sonia confronts director Weatherby in London here, shoots him in the leg to reveal that he is a scroll to everybody else and to get the information on where Dr. Rosa Dalton is. Sonia finds the Daltons, talks about being a bestie uh, and not being a bestie. And then Sonia wants to know about the machine that Dr. Dalton is building for Gravik. She torches the lab, and when Victor Dalton tries to fight back, Sonia shoots him in the head with purple blood on Dr. Dalton. I'm bringing that up for a reason. Rhodes tells the president what Gravik wants him to do. Gravik calls Fury, wants to make a deal, bring him the harvest, which we find out later in the episode is the DNA of all the Avengers, and he'll call this attack that he's trying to coordinate through Rhodes for the president attacking Russia. He'll call it off in exchange for the harvest. Fury gets on a plane to Finland, and who's there? But Rick Mason, another Black Widow reference here, gives him a passport, and what we find out, I think, is the widow's veil in a little container because Fury arrives in Finland as a white dude, meets Sonya, pulls the veil off, reveals he has it on, and there's apparently a better version he alludes to, who he alludes to, and then they head off listening to Stormzy. Interesting choice for Sonya. Fury tells Sonya Rhodes is a scroll, which apparently surprises Sonya, which is kind of a bit of a surprise. They discuss Gravik's plan. We hear that Fury collected all the Avengers' blood from the battlefields and that Gravik was part of the team or led the team that did the collecting. Fury reveals the harvest in a vial. Then, in a scene that's supposed to be badass, goes into a mausoleum and, and collects his eye patch, leather jacket, gun from separate containers in the mausoleum when they all could have fit one, and then puts on his purple beanie uh, and comes off, comes out because awesome one and says, it's time, let's finish this. Who was it? So, Mike, your overall, your thoughts on the, these two storylines and who the hell was he calling at the end? I've heard so many different uh, people saying it could be um, uh, um, uh, it could be Quake from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I think is insane. Uh, it could be Captain Marvel. It could be uh, um, uh, 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 Florence Pugh's character. So it could be any number of things. So, Mike, your thoughts overall here on these storylines and who he's calling? Well, okay. <laughs> Let me just go through a couple of things that really bugged me. All right, go ahead. Number one, Rhodey saying this video is going to drop and you're going to be the most hated man in the world. Now, in episode two, we already have video of Nick Fury at the scene of True. a mass death. Like, like hundreds of people died and Nick Fury was there and it was such a big deal that a board of international diplomats yeah, yeah, yeah. were questioning Rhodey about Nick Fury's being there. Yeah. But now the fact that he killed somebody that 99% of the world don't know is supposed to be the thing that really tips it over the edge. That makes oh. no sense. <laughs> Two, screenwriting tip 
for anybody who's watching. Ooh, interesting. Okay. Do not have a character say, the only way that you can reveal that I am a scroll is to kill me. And then in the very next scene, have Olivia Coleman walk in and reveal that somebody is a scroll without oh. killing them. She, she only has to cut off a finger from what we learned like, four, four episodes ago. Yeah. Nick Fury could have been hiding down the hall, shot Rhodey in the arm from a distance. Dude would have turned green. I'm sorry. Lady would have turned green. <laughs> like this. It was just like, it's. It's one thing where Rhodey said, like, I was watching it and Rhodey was like, the only way that you can prove my scroll is to kill me. And I was like, I feel like that's not technically accurate given what we've seen, but all right, for the tension of the scene, I'll give it to them. But then in the very next scene, Olivia Coleman walked in. And so, and this is part of the problem. Like you said, uh, Sonya's a badass. Yeah. And Nick Fury is not. Right. He's a step that's behind. That's the issue with this told. show. Like, And that was okay for episodes one through three, where Nick Fury was like clearly okay he's been up on saber he's got his issues whatever but at this point it's the fifth episode of six yeah. and as far as i'm concerned olivia coleman could clean up this skull this scroll problem with no help from nick fury and be fine because she's doing all the work here and he's just sort of running around yeah so that bugged me <laughs> um sonia great sonia great Olivia Coleman, great. The scene with her and the doctor is great. Mm. Everything she said was great. Shooting the dude in the head was great. Like her whole little bit about, yeah, males on my planet are the same. They either talk down to you or try and murder you. It's really annoying. Like she's just gold. Like keep her in the MCU as long as you can have oh, her shit. and give her bigger and bigger roles. Yeah. And I'm all about it. Um, seeing Mason, cool. But like this is, and this is the problem. Like, whereas someone like Mason would have showed up in previous parts of phases of Marvel and you'd be like, oh, cool. At this point, I was like, all right. And then, you know, Sam Jackson shows up as Donald Sutherland in Finland, kind of walks <laughs> through the airport. Cool, great. Him and Sonia have the whole bit. Um, now, the Harvest is a perfectly good MacGuffin. Mm -hmm. it, it's a good MacGuffin. Like, okay, two things. And, and both, both are like... Neither of these things are huge gripes for me, but just in the sum total of everything that happens. Yeah. One, why are we collecting the Avengers DNA? Right. There's a thousand reasons. Like there, it, it's not a it's not a ridiculous idea. Mm -hmm. But for Fury to say after the battle of Earth, where they all thought Thanos, there was blood all over the field. Yeah. Everybody got cut up, and we decided that we needed to collect their DNA, and we set the sent the scrolls in to do it. And Gravik led them. You're like, okay, cool. What for? Like, what does, like, like, are we planning on, like, did the government want to clone the Avengers? Did we want, like, what is the reason for DNA? Like, that's, yeah. it's good, but like, there's no, it's, it's one of those things that sounds like, oh yeah, okay, they got the DNA. But when you really think about it, you're like, to what end? And then this was just a thing that irked me. Look, I love Jurassic Park. And when Nedry goes into Jurassic Park and steals all the DNA from the dinos, it's very well-organized DNA. You've got a little Triceratops vial. You've got a little Velociraptor vial. Right. I am curious. Once you have collected the DNA of yeah. every Avenger, is it really the most scientifically sound thing to put it all in one eyedropper? Right. Like, should we not have perhaps had like a larger vial that had little vials that popped off of it with like the symbols of the Avengers on it or something like that little <laughs> vial? I don't know what anybody does with that. You're like, hey, do you have Captain America's DNA? I do, but 
eh, it's kind of in here with everybody else. So you kind of going to get what you're going to get. Like, I don't know. I don't know what that does. Yeah. Um, and then, yes, to your point, after he, after he had this tiny little vial in the tombstone, I was like, well, maybe they did that because he had to hide it somewhere and it was mm -hmm. really dangerous. And he put it all in that vial because that was the one place he could hide it. No, no, no. He had an entire locker in the mausoleum. <laughs> but, but rather than storing the DNA safely, he said, I need a space for my eye patch. Yeah, yeah. This so, guy must be a dick at the gym. Just using all the different lockers for his different right? uh, pieces. So like, so like, look, like all in all, like I think that the answer of what Gravik is after and how Gravik knows about it totally makes sense. Um, but short of that, and then also, and this is another one that really irked me, Rhodey's entire plan here, or really Gravik's plan that Rhodey is enacting is get the president to blow up the scroll base in Russia and that's going to cause World War III. Right. And everyone's like, if we do that, and I'm like, does nobody think to just maybe just call Russia? Mm. Like, hey, Russia, you've got a bunch of aliens in one of your old nuclear facilities. I think we all need to deal with it. Like, there's this giant leap in logic that right. nobody can let Russia know so that they, their option is just bomb Russia and Russia's going to be like, the fuck? Right. But like, it's just like, it's just a little sloppy. Yep, I agree. I agree. Well, now, who do you think he's calling at the end? Man, I hope Kevin Feige to be like, get your shit together. <laughs> I, I don't know. Brother, this Kevin is one Feige of those. supervised this. So, I mean, I think he's aware of what this is. Maybe Bob Iger? I don't know. <laughs> nope, be no, like, Bob, don't. stop, stop talking about, stop talking about the fucking strike and get your house in order. That's what he's calling him for. No, I don't know. I think that it's going to be any, whoever it is, it's not going to be anyone that is that. Oh, oh, another big one. Speaking of that, God, I forgot this one. Yeah. I get that we cannot cast every Avenger in every Disney Plus TV sure, show. Sure. I understand that that is something that the Marvel Cinematic yes. Universe, the way that it is built, you always have to have a little bit of a, well, we're not, you, not everything can be Endgame. But to say that we are about to have nuclear war and eradicate the species, but, but Fury can't call the superheroes because this is personal. Yeah is the stupidest justification. And the way better justification is why don't you call the Avengers? Rhodey is a scroll. I can't trust anybody. Doctor Strange is gone on another planet. Thor's on another planet. Iron Man is dead. Captain America is dead. Nobody knows who Spider-Man is anymore. I could go to see Valkyrie. I could call Ant-Man and the Wasp. I could, there's a handful of people I could call. Right. But at this point, I don't know if they're scrolls or not. So I can only trust these people is a way better justification than this time it's personal. Right, right. And we can't always call superheroes whenever we need them, even though we've been doing that for four decades. In the Marvel Universe MCU canon timeline. Um, That's Shannon, it. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> was was a good opening salvo. Shannon McClung, your thoughts on these uh, Nick on this Nick Fury and uh, and uh, Sonya storyline, and who is Nick calling at the end? Your speculation. I mean, Vogel hit the big ones. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so the stuff that I'll just talk about is the moment that that opening scene where Fury is coming in with the injured president and two doctors. This is the president of the United States. Right. This is a very calm scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, 
when you see Nick Nick Fury say like, "Don't trust Colonel Rhodes," don't trust Colonel Rhodes. I'm like, I'm like, I, you know, I get that they want to keep it quiet, but at the same time, just the way this was shot, I'm like, this seems way too normal. Mm. Um, I'm like, you you got to bounce your camera around a little bit because we don't get that we don't get the stakes based off of this. This was a yeah. very cleanly shot sequence. Going then to Rhodey, um, again, uh, you know, he's got him up against the wall. And yeah, the, the fact that he's just like, the only way you can prove that I'm a scroll is to kill me. And it's like, eh, Rhodey didn't watch the last few episodes. Um, but then <laughs> as they pull out and you see Rhodey's one, you know, one guy on his detachment who's sort of, again, kind of awkwardly awkwardly yep. standing it's like that is not a good shot like uh, were you on a time crunch were you shoot were you shooting during the covid protocols like i don't like this is just so uninspiring um and then the moment that <laughs> uh fury's walking away and suddenly 10 you know, 10 of uh, yeah. roadie's guard comes out of nowhere it's like why doesn't he stop uh, okay okay I, like i guess um Finding out that Gravik was one of the one of the folks that came in and like you know was collecting the DNA, um, Fury been gone for five years, so yeah. I don't know. I mean, just talking about like the 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 uh, impact that his absence had, it's like is that I don't know. I, I liked what we came up with better that Gravik was basically he kind of raised him as his son, and yeah. you know I I thought that was maybe a little more. Uh, emotionally stronger um the sonia awesome uh you know i i wonder if there's a world where they're like <laughs> before they start shooting thunderbolts like maybe sonia's the one who would put this team together and maybe not val don't <laughs> because don't, don't give me hope don't give me hope like that uh that because would be olivia like... coleman she's just been she's just been so so delightful to watch and yes like there are those moments that are kind of built into the structure of a sequence where like, all right, here we go. This is where the audience really gets behind us. <laughs> but the fact that, yes, they're in different compartments, an eye patch, a hat, coat, and a gun. And then the thing that is the most valuable, you're leaving out in the elements. It was just not kind of, it was, as I'm watching it, I'm kind of like, okay, you know, I have loved so much of Marvel. There's a lot of stuff that I'm like, yeah, all right. Like, I don't actively hate this, but it's sort of like, oh, this is fine. This is fine. Yeah. Hold on, Mike. Who, who is he calling? Who is he calling? Who's your speculation? No one of note. I think it's I think like the whole speculation. This is like it happens every season on a Star Wars on a Marvel. Who's he calling? Carol Danvers is gonna come in. No, it's gonna be uh, Hawkeye and and uh, Kate Bishop are gonna show up. It's like it is gonna be Mason. Like, you know, like, it's going to be like, uh, okay. Um, you, this really, what, what Secret Invasion really reminds me of, and if you're a comic book fan and you've been reading comic books for years, this happens a lot. Like, you are reading Avengers, you're reading X-Men, you're reading Cap, you're reading all these comics, and then, like, some special, like, this special six-issue mm. Nick Fury, like, one shot comes out, and you're super excited for it, and it starts strong. And by the time you get to that sixth month, and you get episode, you get issue number six, you're like, you really have realized 
that Marvel pulled one on you and this is not great, but like at this point you already bought the first four issues. So you're going to finish it. That's how this feels. Yeah. That's, that's how secret invasion feels. Yeah. I don't disagree. And that's, that's what I feel about those, both of these storylines. I like the Sonya storyline so much more because she's a badass, and this is what Fury should have been when he came back. I don't know why they went with the old man who's lost a step storyline. It's really kind of gotten annoying at this point. And so it doesn't really work. And too many smart people, are doing stupid things and doing oblivious things. And it's just, it just, uh, at some point you're just like, this makes no sense. And sure. The president is going to take roadies advice about launching a full scale attack on Russia and launching world war three without talking to the German of the joint chiefs of staff, without going through Congress, without having these, like, come on. And let alone, as Michael said, talking to the prime minister of Russia or the president of Russia, whatever they've set up there for Russia in terms of, of leadership that's the smarter move. So this idea, it's almost like a child's approach to politics and to this kind of stuff. And it's frustrating because it, it, there's much more nuance here that could have been explored. And you give no development to the president. Absolutely zero. I know some of y'all hate that I like these side characters to have a little more development. But if you're going to make the man launch World War III, give me a little background on a homie. Let me know a little bit more about this. And also Rhodes' scroll. Why is she doing this? What is her motivation? What is her drive? Other than being, you know, on board with Gravik, what turned her around? What, there's much more. There's four more episodes in this show that really could have fleshed out everything you've got going on here. It's starting to feel like Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, and even what we're going to see, what we're going to talk about here in, a, in, a, in the next uh, couple storylines, the idea of them turning on Gravik, like it's all very similar to Falcon and Winter Soldier. So it just kind of gets a little bit like there was great intentions, but it just doesn't hit the mark at all. And a lot of people saying he's calling Quake. I think he's just calling Gravik and going, it's time. Let's finish this because Gravik called him. So he's saying, let's go meet and let's get, get this on once and for all. So that's what I maybe. Think. Um, uh, all right, let's, yeah, go ahead. Well, just really quick on the. Oh, really quick. <laughs> we we yeah. talked. Yeah, really quick. <laughs> uh, yeah, really quick. I'm going to get a T-shirt that just says really quick. You really should. Uh, you really should. So on the Dermot Mulroney stuff, on the President yeah. Ritson stuff, like you're not wrong. And I think there is a world where you could have gotten more episodes and got more into this, but even given the length of time that we've had and the amount of yeah. time that Ritson has been on screen, they didn't really make a choice with him. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. if you had, if you had in that very first scene in the white house had an aide saying that his poll numbers were down, people were thinking he was soft on international right. policy. Like he really wasn't doing well. Everyone thought, and that he's like, he, that he, you could see that he wanted to be yeah. like, I got to show everybody that I'm strong, that America's strong. And so that when Rhodey comes in here, it's like, sir, you could, you could make a response that really right. shows America that you really are the president they want. Like just making a choice about him, even in the amount of space that you have and using those scenes to your better advantage yeah. would have given you maybe not as much as you wanted ideally, but would have given you at least a little bit more like, I understand why this president is going to make this choice because I was told this earlier. Yeah, I think that's a better clarification of what I was saying. I don't need to know where he went to college and meet his wife and kids or anything like that, but I need to know what is going on. What is the context of his existence in the show? That's an excellent point, Michael, for sure. All right, let's move on to another storyline, then we'll take a break after this one. Gaia and Vara. Gaia is waiting in Nick's safe house. Apparently, he's figured out she's figured out how to not have the tape uh, uh, portrayed that she's walked through the door. Nick explains the safe house's importance, its connection to World War II and immigrants who came over and found safe space there. They talk of Talos' death, 
Gaia says nothing will come of it. Fury fight, Fury kind of pushes back and says, no, he chose this path. He wants to fight. This is your time now. Uh, and then she tells Fury of the DNA that Gravik stole uh, to make himself this super scroll that he is and that he's, was, he was looking for the harvest but was only able to find this DNA. Now, listen, him being able to find this DNA is just as bad, I would think, considering the powers he got. But anyway, he sends Gaia to Vara to help bury Talos. Uh, Gaia and Vara burn Talos's body, and Gaia says more people should be here. Uh, and uh, Vara, speaking for the budget, says uh, Talos wasn't about pageantry and didn't leave a lot of people <laughs> around. And uh, Vara says she didn't run from the execution order because she loves her house and loves the significance of her house. What? Vara talks glowingly about watching Fury reading a book in the sunlight and the sun kissing his skin. I was super uncomfortable during this moment. I don't need to see Fury as some kind of sexual object. Then they have a badass scene fighting off graphics hitmen who bleed red blood. So are they not scrolls? I'm so confused by this. So, uh, Shannon, your thoughts on the Gaia and Vara storylines uh, here as we got uh, more uh, with the Talos uh, with Talos's, uh, uh, funeral and then Vara and uh, uh, Gaia fighting off uh, graphics men? I mean, in terms of the writing, you can tell uh, it, it's always it would be fascinating to be a fly on the wall hmm. um, of, of some of these meetings. Cause you can see that the writers wanted to tell a specific story there. They yeah. did. I think did want to give it something a little deeper, like, you know, those comparisons, you know, to the immigrants after, you know, the Nazis had destroyed right. a certain block yes. and everything. Yes. Like you could tell there was something there that they wanted to try to do. And it was one of those things that you can't really do it halfway. You either have to do it or you don't do it. Because yeah. what we've gotten is the halfway version where it's like you get these little blips and it's like, okay, but why haven't we, why haven't we discussed that a, right. a, a little bit more? Um, again, Amelia Clark, really, really great performance. I mean, you know, doing as much as she can, you do sense that sort of, you know, melancholic uh, sadness talking about her dad and the whole yeah. thing about like, you know, I, 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 I knew he was going to lose. <laughs> like, that's really, you know, that's really, really sad. I mean, I did think I wasn't considering the pageantry budget uh, comparison, Johnny. So bravo. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Right. <laughs> We've only got two people on set. Let's bang this thing out. Um, the fight I actually thought was pretty well choreographed. I, I, thought, I thought it was done pretty well. Um, there is a thing that in Marvel has done this in the and I wish they would stop. Um, there is a thing when uh, when a bad guy is repelling in and they're able to, uh, you know, uh, dispose of them before they land. And then the body's just kind of hanging there. And when it's hanging in the background as two people are talking, it is very, very distracting. <laughs> so that's one of those things that I would I kind of wish they'd push to the side. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I mean, maybe Vara is the one he called at the end. Maybe. Uh, I mean... But uh, but yeah, this this was again more of like more of like okay, this is fine. Yeah, I mean, Mike, there's no real. I mean, Talos is, was such a significant part since uh, uh, Black Widow, and you know, you have such a fantastic actor playing him in Ben Mendelsohn, and just like his wife dying off screen, who we got to know in both the Spider Man film and in uh, Black Widow. Um, Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. I'm sorry, Captain Marvel. Sorry, Captain Marvel. Sorry, sorry, Captain Marvel. Uh, he he dies uh, last episode, and it's a sad death. But he's really dead. Like Maria, they're really dead, and there's no real big thing. And they, you know, they put him on there like Anakin at the end of Return of the Jedi and bur burn him. So, uh, I mean, what are your thoughts here on the Gaia and Vara storylines? Does this make any sense that she 
stuck around in her house because it means so much to her rather than, you know, fighting them off at a dark alley. It did kind of feel like she was like, why are you staying here? And she was like, do you know how much I paid for this house? <laughs> like, this was not cheap. Um, here's the thing I think about Gaia. I, here, here, I, I was really thinking about this. A lot. Like, So what it seems like to me is that you have this show that you have Talos on one side uh, who says we should just go ask the humans if we can please stay here. Yeah. And you have Gravik on the other side being like, fuck this shit. We're going to make this new Skrullos. And you have Gaia, who's sort of the character that's supposed to be in the middle. I think they made some mistakes along the way, but she's in the middle. She yeah. doesn't agree with Talos. She doesn't agree with Gravik. Uh, we already know Talos doesn't make it out of this alive. I'm assuming Gravik's not making it out of the end of this uh, season either. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe. So I think that leaves you with Talos's daughter, yeah. who now has super scroll abilities. So... I feel like Amelia Clark in this show is kind of like uh, Loki in the first Thor movie. I mm. think Loki in the first Thor movie is not great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think Loki doesn't become great until Thor 2. Thor 2 is horrible, but Loki is Loki in Thor 2. And, okay, Shannon, I know you didn't get to go with this, but come on. You, I, mean, I, I swear to God. But I think that Gaia as what it seems like the scroll that is going to take up the leadership mantle and lead the scrolls to somewhere mm. uh, has a lot of potential in the MCU if used correctly. Right. I think she could be great. I think one of the problems they made with Gaia along the way is, and again, it's just muddy storytelling. In the first episode, like she was like, I'm on Gravik's side, but she instantly went to Talos and was like, hey, here's some information. In the first episode. Yeah, yeah. So within the first episode, she was already conflicted. I think when you have six episodes and you're really like, and you know where you want to get, you're like, all right, we need to have her be Gravik's ride or die for at yeah. least an episode or two. Then find out she was giving info in three and four and she's very conflicted. And then you get to this moment in episode five and you're like, okay, she's choosing her. Like, like so it yeah. just like everything was sort of like Gaia was sort of good and sort of not from episode one. Right. And sort of, it's kind of what Shannon said about doing things halfway. When she's sort of, for six episodes, we don't really get a, a, a strong sense. If mm -hmm. she had been this here, but then the, the scene with her dad really, like, fucked her up, and then she wasn't sure, and then she made a choice, like, it would just be stronger. All that being said, I still think, as Shannon said, Amelia Clark is doing great work. Yeah, agreed. And by the end of this episode, even though so many things really bugged me, um... I really like Gaia. I yeah. also, despite the weird I'm staying in this house because I really like it monologue, I kind of like Vara now. It mm -hmm. it reconfirms what we said last week, which is I wish Vara had come in earlier. Yep. Uh, because last week when you had the whole scene with her and Fury, it was a great scene, but I wasn't as invested because I feel like I was just getting to know her. But her scene here with Gaia where she was like, don't worry, I know the prayer. And they had this whole talk scroll to scroll. I was like, you know what? These two are good characters. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of really good potential here with these two. And if these two picked up the pieces of the Scroll Empire on Earth and sort of became our go-to Scroll characters moving forward, yeah. I think there's a lot of potential here, despite the fact that I think they both had sort of bumpy starts in the series. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's what we talked about a couple episodes, Shannon, when we were doing the solo review ourselves and, and said, like, he, the writing here with the one-on-one -on -one scenes is fantastic. It really is. And that's what really layers the characters when you've got these two good actors going back and forth with each other. It's in the outer stuff that where is where the show is falling apart. 
Vara and and uh, uh, Gaia having these conversations, I thought it was really good and helped us care about these characters more. And then and then you give them a badass fight scene where I mean, somebody I read one of the reviews said it gave me shades of Terminator Genesis in a positive way, and I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, Amelia is a badass. I love that she's getting to do this kind of stuff. It's just the fumbling of the ball of her character completely. This is a Ben Solo situation. We don't know why she broke off. We didn't. We don't have any flashbacks. We don't see what was the inciting incident that made her gonna believe in Gravik more than. We have no background or no flashbacks of them developing their relationship, Gravik and Gaia. So there's nothing here to give us um, a real foundation of motivation for the things that she's doing and the conflict, the inner conflict that she's having. It's just being told to us. And that's not enough. Not with a show that's supposed to be this nuanced and deep and interesting and uh, spy thriller. There has to be much more meat on the bone than what they're showing us. And it's frustrating. And that being said, though, as you said, both Emilia uh, uh, Clark and the actress playing Bar, they're both doing wonderful work with the limited screen time they're getting and the limited character work they're getting to make us care about them. I mean, there's a world where Nick Fury dies next week, and it's Sonya and Gaia who essentially replace Fury and Talos, and I'm 100% on board with that situation if it happens. So, um, All right, let's well, take a quick I, I, think, I, think, I think he's in the Marvels, John, so I don't <sighs> think that's going to happen. Maybe they're burying him in the Marvels. Anyway, all right, let me, let's take a break, and we'll get to the last section of our review right after this. There are scrolls coming from the sky. They're on planet Earth, and they want us all to die. Oh. Is this like the sequel to Rogers the Musical? Because count me (laughs) in. All right, this is a quick recap. Gravik and his plan. He's gone full mania, kills Pagan with his group powers. Apparently, they were saving it for this scene and not for the scene of it. But Pagan, like me, calls out Gravik. He goes, you won't kill Fury. What is your effing problem? And he gets a, 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 a Groot a, a tree branch through his heart uh, here. And I, I put roid rage. This feels like roid rage from taking all those uh, um, uh, uh, chemicals inside of his body to become this super scroll. And I put, it's another useless death in the show. I mean, Pagone has been built up through the five episodes uh, and he gets killed just randomly for questioning Gravik. Uh, then we get the uh, get Rhodes telling the president, as we said earlier, there was Russians harboring new scrollos. If it doesn't work out, Gravik tells uh, uh, Rhodes, if it doesn't work out, then they're just going to have to kill themselves and sacrifice themselves, which I'm sure Gravik means everyone else but him, as these maniacal leaders always mean, everyone else but me, uh, then gets attacked by his own people, led by Beto. He goes full super scroll and kills everyone who attacks him, including Beto, and cuts his throat in front of everybody. And I put here another useless death. Sorry, Shannon. He is not Nick Fury's plant. So that was the – that. I mean, that – I mean – I don't know. Uh, my, uh, Mike, you're next up on the on the rotation here. Your thoughts on Gravik and his plan and uh, the death of, of both Pagone and, and, and Beto here. Again, it's just, it's all muddy, man. It's yeah. all muddy. So, like, here's the deal. If I think the idea that Gravik, because look, now what it seems like is Gravik did not want Fury dead because he needs to know where the harvest is. The and harvest Fury's is the only right, one right. who knows. But if that's the case, then why order Vara to kill Fury? Right. You can't say I ordered her to do it because I knew she wasn't going to do it. And that was going to do like that gets to some weird, creepy shit. Like there's yeah. just like you either are like so like I think Pagone being like, why aren't you killing Fury? Yeah. Fury. But also 
I guess, yeah, Fury saved the president, but Fury hasn't been a huge thorn in their side. They right. seem to have contained him. Like, so this whole, like, it's all about Fury seems a little bit silly anyways, but like, it was, I was watching, I'm like, all right, so it kind of makes sense that he refused to kill Fury because this was his ultimate plan as he wanted the harvest. Cool. Right. But then him ordering Vara and other stuff, you're like, well, but then that doesn't track. So again, Gravik's whole thing is just muddy. Like, I think they were like, oh, we need it to seem like he wants him to kill her, wants him, wants Fury to kill, wants Fury dead. But like, we really yeah. have to reveal this. And like, it just got muddy somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, additionally, like, look, I think one of the things we said about Gravik at the beginning is it was cool because he was a villain that his he was justified yeah like yeah. to a degree like the scrolls are all on earth uh they want to have a planet um yeah. he feels that fury has used them for to get ahead for himself and that he and carol danvers have never delivered on their promise from the 90s to find them a planet and he's pissed for his people yeah and that was cool and even him going in and bullying the scroll council and saying y'all are not doing anything we're gonna like kick things up a notch okay, that's cool. You're a good villain. And I get the whole, okay, my lieutenants are questioning me and I'm going to lash out at them. That's okay. Cool. That's super villain textbook. Cool. But to go, Hey, I want the harvest. And if I don't get the harvest, I think the best plan is we're going to wipe out all of my people. Yeah. I'm like, well, that seems to go completely antithetical to your ultimate motivation. So now you're just going into just like kind of generic villain 101. Oh, I, to your point, John, it's like, well, I want the power of the Avengers and I'm going to get it at any cost. Therefore, I'm going to sacrifice anybody. And now you're just a way less interesting villain. Yeah. Like Gravik was on his way to becoming like the scroll Magneto where like, I don't agree Great with you points. and yeah. I think you're a terrorist and I think you're the bad guy, but what you want is mutants, mutant rights or scroll rights you are right. You're just a little bit too uh, aggressive in your tactics. Yeah. And now he's just give me the powers. I'm the bad guy. And you're like, all right. Like, so I just think it sort of undercuts what could have made Gravik really interesting. But also, I don't think Gravik's making it out of the next episode. So I don't think they're really invested in making him a super interesting villain. Yeah. And, and the thing is, if you could easily have used Gravik as a um, template for commentary on beating being a maniacal leader of people you have whipped up into a frenzy. Whatever your opinion is on whatever you're going on politically, there is a commentary to be made about leaders that drink their own, uh, what, buy their own press or drink their own pee. Yes, drink their own juice. Kool-Aid. Yeah, Kool-Aid. Kool trying to say Kool-Aid. Who drink their own Kool-Aid and believe themselves to be above everyone else, yet play the, I'm an everyman, but I must be at the top of the pyramid, but I'm an everyman. There was some commentary yeah. that really could have been made here through Gravik that would have worked. And for those who are watching it for the nuance and the symbolism and, and the commentary that is bubbling below the surface, it could have been much more powerful. Now he's just an angry dude who wants all the power. And we still don't know fully why. It's just, I got tired of waiting. There's got to be more well, here and there isn't. And it becomes super frustrating uh, to see that go on with him. And, uh, and, and, and Pagone was right for calling him out and, and doing that. And then the Beto death, why did you even introduce Beto at the beginning of this show if you're just going to off him? So Shannon, your thoughts on the storyline with Gravik and uh, the plan here that Gravik has as he's Im improvising as he goes along, apparently. Yeah, I mean, you guys kind of already hit it all. <laughs> I mean, the whole idea that Beto was introduced just to kill him without anything of note really happening, 
that is kind of disappointing. And I don't think it's a situation where they ran out of time and like, sorry, his storyline's hitting. I don't think there was probably a storyline now, now that we've gotten to the end of the road, that there wasn't anything significant that had actually happened with him, um, which is a bummer. Um, But yeah, you know, one more episode. I think there probably, I think there probably was, I mean, I, I might be wrong about this, but I think that in the, in the original drafts of scripts, there probably was more with Beto. And I just think as you got into production and you were shooting all the action sequences and everything mm-hmm. else, I think things just got cut and cut and cut and cut. And it just feels like the Beto thing, like kind of to John's point had Beto stood up at the end and as opposed to just like leading this very stupid coup. Yeah. Hey, we've seen that you are literally invincible and have tree powers let us try and hit you with a mallet. Not your best plan. But if Beto had stood up and said, hey, you said that you stood for this. You said that you were here for our people. You said that you wanted this. And now all you want is this. And kind of made all the points that John said about like a despotic leader kind of doing all these things. Then at least Beto has this role. Like Beto's like, I was a believer, but now I see you're wrong and I'm going to step up and like see other people sort of gather behind him and go, oh, Beto's going to, nope, he killed him. And then that makes graphics super bad, but Beto made this point for you and his character has some kind of reason for existing. Yeah, yeah. If Beto had been talking to the other scrolls and it's slowly episode per episode, there've been scenes with him growing and feeling comfortable around the scrolls, growing and calling out certain things that are happening, talking about his experiences of being in the car and watching Grabone get taken out into the woods and killed, there was there could have been much more um, substance to Beto so that when he defies Gravik, it has more weight. And you can understand why people rallied around Beto to attack Gravik if you're still going to go with that kitchen mallet scene. It still could have worked, and it just didn't. Plus, I mean, isn't there a scroll security council that's in charge of Britain, the United Nations, the airwaves, and has not been used at all? What the fuck? It's just so frustrating that there's great stuff presented and nothing comes of it or nothing comes to fruition or they just completely forget about it, which is like, well, what the fuck? So that's that's what I feel about the show right now. WTF uh, at the end of the day. Um, anything more we need to say? Anything more to touch on? Or shall we, shall we uh, wrap up this review, gentlemen? Okay. I say let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. Well, thank you all so much for joining us for this spoiler review here of um, of uh, Secret Invasion Episode 5 Harvest. We appreciate it badly. Thank you very much uh, for all the uh, um, comments and the uh, um, um, back and forth you guys have on, on the uh, so on the um, YouTube down there. We appreciate y'all's comments, y'all's analysis very, very much. Shannon, what do we have to tell them? Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies on Instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung on Instagram at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, it is at MK Tune. If you would like to follow Mr. Roca, it is at the Roca Says. Mike? Uh, if you love the MCU, if you hate the MCU, if you love Secret Invasion, if you hate Secret Invasion, uh, we've got a little bit of everything here for you. Um, and so for all my geeks, here is what you can do for us. Uh, you can hit that like button below, subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page, leave your comments below, let us know what you think. What are you loving? What are you hating? Where do you think Marvel's going? Where would you like Marvel to go? Let us know below. Uh, if you're listening to us on a podcast, go ahead and leave us some stars and some comments so that we go up in the rankings and more people can find us. And as always, the best thing that you can do is retweet this video, post it on your socials, send it to your friends, and tell them to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. There you go. And look for our – it's going to be Comic-Con this week. We're going to be doing a lot of things, so we're going to try our best to do a show from Comic-Con. So be patient with us. 
Let us enjoy it and see what's going on. But that we'll definitely report back with a show for you. So look for that sometime this week here from us at the, the Geek Buddies. All right, y'all take care of yourselves. Be well. And we'll talk to you next week as we uh, wrap up our spoiler reviews of Secret Invasion here on the Geek Buddies! Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.